1: This episode of the Major Spoilers podcast is being brought to you in part by our patrons, including
2: Olin Luttrell, Kenneth Knuckles
1: and Melanie. Yay! Thank you so much for your support. This episode is for you. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews and of course, spoilers and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans.
3: In this issue, Kim and Kim, Thor and Thor, Blue Beetle and Blue Beetle, plus fifth week means amalgam, and that usually means something just awful. Plus, we'll spin the Wheel of Destiny talking turkey, acting chicken, and the kick-butt pole of the week. What's better than a beetle on guitar? I'll have to tell you later, you can ask me on my Twitter, because the Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air.
1: Welcome to issue 743 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this. I think we are in a fifth week event, Matthew, if I'm not mistaken. This week! One, two, three, four, yep, we are in a fifth week event, which means it's Amalgam Comics time. All later in the show, we will be talking about uh, Doctor Strange Fate and Magneto (laughs) and the Magnetic Men. But first, hey! Look, the there's Matthew thing. is here. Hi. And Ashley Victoria Robinson is here.
2: I sure am.
1: No, Rodrigo. This week, he is in the process of moving into a new place, and uh, uh, this week is the only week he can do it. And I'm hoping he has internet by next week. But we will see. He may be internetless for a uh, a week or so. But we were are I'll thinking about Rodrigo him. We are thinking about him always. Not uh, always. I think about him always, and in always. I- Hey, let's get Sometimes, to some news. I'm just reading. Hey, the fall television season is upon us. What are we looking forward to seeing? Uh DC restores Superman's un-American art. Yep, yep, that's what it says. And Hasbro files lawsuit against DC Comics over Bumblebee trademark. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny. Ah, dang it. I hate it when the Wheel of Destiny gets stuck between all three of these items.
4: Oh man. <laughs>
1: Let oh, us start man. Let us start with DC Restores the Superman Un-American Art. Now, if you've been following me on Twitter and maybe a lot of people on Twitter over the last, I want to say, year or so, uh, you may have noticed this giant uh, 1950s image of Superman standing around with a bunch of uh, high school kids and saying, remember, boys and girls, your school, like our country, is made up of Americans of many different races, religions and national origins. So if you hear anybody talk against a schoolmate or anyone else because of his religion, race or national origin, don't wait Tell him that kind of talk is un-American. Hope keep your schools all-American. And it's a great piece. And I tweet it out uh, at least once a month, sometimes more depending on my mood. But uh, DC Comics, a lot of people were wondering, where has this come from? And this is a fascinating thing. Back in 1949, uh, this was a black and white image that was on uh, brown paper that you used to wrap your school books in. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I was a kid... This is even in the 70s, not even the 40s. But one of the things we did. (laughs) As if you were a
2: child in both the 70s and the 40s.
1: I was. That's Uh, amazing. But when I was a kid, like the first day of school, when we got our new books, we were asked to bring in brown grocery bags so we could wrap our books. Matthew, did you do that in school? No, I I don't know what
3: that is. Brown grocery bags would provide acid and actually make the books decay well, faster.
1: Not the not the hard stock cover cover outsides, but it was used okay. quite a bit to protect protect the book and help it last longer. So uh, it was always fun because then you could color on your uh, your brown paper bag uh, outside stuff. But in 1949. Uh, DC Comics had released these giant 12 by 18 inches of brown paper with this symbol, with this uh, cartoon printed on it so that kids could wrap their books with it and carry them around. So this was something and I know a lot of people talk uh, a lot about how, oh, comics shouldn't be political. This is 1949 and Superman's telling people to stop being bigots and racists. Uh, and it was on the cover of yep. every school book. So it helps uh, keep that in there. I think this is great. I think this is a, a lost piece of of art history that we're just finding out about. Yep. And, and thank you, DC comics for um, uh, digitizing and restoring this poster. I, I don't know what, what are your guys's reactions uh, to this? Ashley, let us start with you. I,
2: um, I think it's interesting in the same way that I think uh, returning to something like the Marvel stamps is interesting. I mm-hmm. maybe don't wholly understand what the point of it is beyond uh, the nostalgia for people who are, not of my generation.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> mm. um, I, I, I mean, I think it's cool, but yeah, I just don't see that. I don't wholly see the the point of it. I think, you know,
1: I don't know. I think it's good to kind of just get that out there again. For me, it's for two reasons. Number one, it shows that comics have already always been political. Uh, number yeah. two, it's just a great message to send out, especially right now for people to say, you know, quit being racist and, and, and bigots. Uh, I, I kind of wish that DC would print these up again and send them to libraries and schools and community centers and churches and ask them to hang these posters up. I, I, I guess that would be the, the hope for me. Um, I think it's
2: more, almost more interesting that, um, I shared the restored art when it came out. Uh-huh. Um, and, and it is, it's very beautiful, but I've seen more people who are angry that it doesn't include, um, right. of any, of any gender or mm-hmm. of any sexuality. Like people want the scope of it broadened.
4: Mm-hmm. And,
2: um, I'm sort of on the fence about where I fall on that because yes, you know, we're, we're updating this for the modern world and there is a lot of, uh, women's rights and LGBTQIA plus rights stuff mm-hmm. going on right now, but this is a relic, um, right. you know, so I'm, I'm sort of stuck between like, yeah, bring it up to date. I if can, you're going to recolor it, you might as well go all the way or like, oh, this is a cool retro piece of art.
1: I, you know, I can see your, I can really truly see your point on that and I can see the other side of it from people saying, Hey, not all races are represented or genders, et cetera. Um, yeah, but I but I do think that the message, regardless oh. of the art, is still super mm-hmm. super super important. And Matthew and I over on this other uh, show that we do called the Legion Clubhouse, where we're looking at the Legion of Superheroes comics, we're looking at comics from the fifties and sixties, and occasionally in these issues, they have these these kinds of little stories of. You know, here's this uh, poor kid who's sitting on the stoop and he doesn't have anything to do. And these other kids are like, oh, should we ask this kid to come play with us? Nah, he's poor. And then Superman comes in. And is like, hey, why are you guys being dicks to this kid? Just because he yeah. doesn't have a baseball mitt. And it's like, <laughs> wow, that's like really cool to see Superman call these other two kids dicks. Uh, but I think he that, doesn't do that. But I, I kind of I kind of wish that you're right, Ashley. This art probably needs to probably needs to be updated. I kind of wish that we could have more social messages, PSAs in our comics or in our superheroes that are more out there than they are now.
3: Yeah, but we've kind of reached a point where having a pro social message does in fact get people, you know, yelling at you. And it, I think it's quite sad that something like this, something that is pretty much, inarguable you cannot look at this superman piece by the way it's a wayne boring boring did superman for years and years and years he was the yeah, guy he was the
1: superman be, artist yeah
3: before you know before kurt swan who took it over and went and nobody existed before kurt swan and that happened and then time was retroactively changed so it's nice to see this happen but i think that uh sorry i had a, I had a presidential moment there i think uh, that it's It's problematic and difficult and really saddening that if they were to present something like this with, you know, a a modern image, maybe a Jim Lee image or a God help us, a Frank Miller image of this modern character, the question is going, why are you trying to politicize this? Why are you taking a side? And I feel like stating something like this, that is an inherently pro-social message and, you know, if you've listened to the show for a while, you'll remember Dr. Keith Coogan saying that the very definition of superhero has in it a pro-social message. Mm-hmm. Without the pro-social message, you don't have a superhero. Right. I think what we're looking at here is something that is, especially for Superman, just right at the core of that character. And while I want to see them do it, I'm not sure that they can do it successfully. Mm. Because you uh, you have your your trolls and you have your goobers and you have your your zabubba Yeah, and you I'm
1: have sure people, they had them back oh, in the '50s too, but they went to their meetings and wore their masks and they kept out of society.
3: You know what? I've seen people respond on the Twitter to this image with the the three letter acronym that is somehow meant to be a a you know a slam of, or a slur. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hard, and I don't understand how they think that this is the kryptonite or the silver dagger that's going to murder somebody, but regardless of that, you know, irregardless of that, because, you know, why not? We're just going to go full on (laughs) presidential elect me. I think that this is something that is neat. And the way that they did it by actually taking this and saying, look, you guys, in 1949, 1949, over 70 years ago, I think, this, this was an issue. This was the message. And looking at it from that perspective and saying 70 years ago they saw this was a problem why are we still having this argument i feel like in a, in some ways that's stronger you know it's it's like when people when people and this is vaguely related but also tangential when people mock the super friends made in the 1970s who were specifically designed to represent races that you didn't see in the mainstream dc universe your apache chief and your samurai yeah, and your, your black falcon uh, and
1: black lightning yeah
3: el diablo not mm. el diablo excuse me el- auto people are like "Oh, those characters are stupid and i'm like and yet in 1973 someone saw that this was important that this was missing in your dc universe and 50 years later why are we still having this discussion no and
1: that's why i think that it's almost it's more important to just keep hammering it home
3: i guess and that i think is part of the reason why presenting this as the original retro image works now if tomorrow they come out with an updated version and it's Jim Lee and they do increase that level and they do deal with, you know, issued LGBT issues and deal with additional additional representation in this, I'll buy one. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll tweet it. I'll put it up in my in you know, my theoretical shop that I don't actually have.
1: So going from uh. a going from uh, social issues to petty issues, Hasbro <laughs> is suing Mattel and D Hasbro is suing uh, Warner Brothers and no. DC Comics. Over the copyright uh, trademark claim of Bumblebee. If you don't remember, uh, DC Comics has this character named Bumblebee. She's been around since, what, 1978 or something like that? 76. 76 is when she first first appeared in Teen Titans.
2: Female African-American character to be part of the series. At
3: DC DC Comics? She was very close to being the first African American superhero. Yeah, yeah. Depending depending on your definitions,
2: but she's but she is the first female. Like she's yeah. right. she's so she, important in the DC canon that I just want to like rip Hasbro in half. And, and she's
1: and she's super super she popular. Reads, I mean, if you if you watch like if you watch the original Teen Titans animated series, even if you watch Teen Titans Go, if you're reading what's going on in. Uh, young in Titans? In, in Titans or in Young Justice, I mean, Bumblebee is this really cool character, and every time that she's appeared on screen, my kids and really my wife too, and everyone in the household is just like, "Oh, this is a really cool character. We like her a lot." And of course, mm-hmm. she is a central figure in the DC superhero girls um, uh, animated series, as well as the uh, toy line. I
2: have her, I have her Barbie doll.
1: We have the, we have the, we have the Lego sets of that have her in there. And this is this is really, really cool. So you're right, Ashley. She is super, super important. However, there's this other company you may have heard of called Hasbro, and they have these toys called Transformers. There are these robots in disguise. They (laughs) came out. They came out in 1983, almost a decade after Bumblebee made her first appearance. Mm -hmm. And there's a character in these Transformer things called Bumblebee. 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 Now, here's the deal. These two have coexisted with each other since their since their debuts. But Hasbro and uh, what is the Paramount is the Mattel. uh, Mattel, No, no. um, The movie studio Paramount Paramount have this big Bumblebee movie coming out uh, in the next Mm -hmm. year or so. And so what they're doing is they trademarked the name Bumblebee, not copyright, because if this is a copyright case. There would be no, no question about it. But they went and trademarked this in 2015. It was approved a year later. And now uh, Hasbro is saying, hey, we have the trademark Bumblebee and you, DC Comics and Warner Brothers, who have this character Bumblebee, that's infringing on our trademark. So, therefore, we want you to stop promoting her or stop using the name in your toys, in your uh, TVs, in your animated shows, in your internets. You need to stop. And so that's what they're going to court on. <laughs> on the one hand, if this were a copyright issue, as I said, this would be cut and dry. There would be no case on Hasbro's uh, side. The weird thing is, I have a feeling the legal system will be on Hasbro's side saying, well, they did register the trademark and Warner Brothers and D.C. You could have gone and argued against it and you didn't. So you're going to have to stop using the name Bumblebee. Well,
3: the thing that and, you know, um, a friend of mine who is a lawyer on the internet was making this argument today about the, the partial speciousness of it is it really just feels like, Hey, the DC superhero girls are ridiculously popular.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah.
3: And you know, it, if, if they were not like ridiculously unexpectedly, awesomely popular, this wouldn't be happening. But I think also worth noting is transformers. Um, the guys who own the Transformers, Hasbro. you know, the Hasbro dudes, have actually lost the Bumblebee mark before. Because if you actually go back and you watch uh, Transformers Armada, there's a character called Hotshot, who's a yellow little race car. He's a, a, a kid-friendly character. He's basically Bumblebee. He's meant to be the teenage Autobot and initially was conceived as being Bumblebee. But they couldn't do it because they didn't have the trademark at the time. Hasbro was told, no, you can't do it. So I think that this may be, in a best-case scenario, this may just be that, you know, the due diligence of making sure you're trying to protect your mark. I'm really kind of hoping that there's something that can be done in terms of not having to change either name. Well, t-
1: Ashley, is this is this nothing more than Hasbro going after Mattel because Mattel is selling more toys than they are? Yes. Oh,
2: I think that is ultimately what it comes down to. I mean, you can talk about the IP of the films and the TV shows and everything all you want, but they're both toy companies. And I, uh, I'm going to say something that I've done no research on and uh, is probably a gross oversimplification. I'm pretty sure Mattel has always outstripped Hasbro in sales. Hmm. Um, mattel, don't they have barbie they do yeah
3: yeah mattel so, yeah uh, uh
2: you know I, I didn't google it but it just feels like that's the right answer <laughs> um and,
3: presidential tonight
2: well i'm not even a citizen yet so i was like well my practice it. um so it feels like that's more where this is coming from uh like i said than the ip and i think likely it will be settled um with everyone agreeing to go their own way. And maybe somebody gets a dash in their name, like Salt Lake city comic con or something like
1: that. Uh, Just, just so, just so, just so you know, just so people writing in, screaming at their internets or whatever. uh, Mattel's revenue is down from uh, Hasbro's revenue. Um, Oh, well, just not by much though. They're only separated by 5%. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a whole lot.
3: And again, it may not be, we can't always expect something to be based out of H, you know evil spite. evil corporate yeah corporate spite when it may literally be just a matter of needing to do your diligence and needing to protect well, the mark
1: but here's here's the thing and here's the problem that i have with this whole thing is this is not the first time that DC has kind of screwed the pooch on their characters. And if they were smart, they'd be getting their lawyers lined up and saying, we need copyrights and trademarks on every single character we have. Yes, but that's a hundred thousand characters that we have. I don't care. We're paying you all this money an hour, go out there and trademark all of our properties because all we have to do is look at a a certain character called captain Marvel. And we can see another point where DC not doing their due diligence, lost the, lost the naming rights to captain Marvel to, to Marvel comics And now we have to call him Shazam.
3: They didn't own Captain Marvel at the time that that rights situation took place. So I'll give them a pass on that. They actually sued the company (laughs) that created Captain Marvel almost out of existence in the 50s. So having that come back around and fall into their lap as a property. Uh,
1: Yeah, we can argue. I mean, we can (coughs) argue that. And I would agree with you that it kind of serves DC right kind of thing. But at the same time, as soon as they got a hold of that, All they had to do is say, oh, no, our character is called Captain Marvel. And (laughs) even though it's it's called Shazam on the cover, that's not his name. That's where they created their brand identity and confusion. And that's what ultimately led to them having to call currently Shazam Shazam. Uh, So this is, you know, this whole thing with Bumblebee kind of sits wrong with me. But on on the one hand, if we look at it from the strict legal text of what is being put out, I think Hasbro is going to win. On the other hand, damn it, DC, you should know better. (laughs) Uh, fall TV series, you guys uh, interested in anything? I'm ashamed to say one. You don't have to be ashamed to say it. I do. No, you don't. You like what you like.
3: Well, I am a Seth MacFarlane fan.
1: Oh no, that, that movie, that TV show looks good. Speaking of potential lawsuits that are going on.
3: The Orville, which is going to be, you know, from Seth MacFarlane, who you kind of have to say, I like Seth MacFarlane and people will argue with you for 20 minutes before you go. Yeah, I've had those arguments, too. But, it, yeah, it it looks kind of like it might be actually good and it might have some of the fun aspects that keep disappearing from my Star Trek.
1: What do you think of the Orville, uh, Ashley? Have you been following anything about it?
2: I think that Seth MacFarlane should stop acting and should stop putting himself <laughs> as the lead of things. And maybe then I would watch them.
1: Okay. Uh, apparently. <laughs> I, I'm, not,
2: I, I'm neither very interested in that, nor am I interested in star Trek discovery just based on the advertising. If I'm going to be completely honest, yeah, yeah. um, neither of them has really won me over, but I'm going to watch one of them because it has star Trek in the title.
1: Mm. I, I heard <laughs> now I, I'd have to go back and check. I heard that there was a lawsuit or a pending lawsuit on the Orville from uh, Paramount because it is too similar to Star Trek.
2: There should be because it's pretty much Star Trek. And it's
1: not a, it's not and a, pa- and gonna, from what I've <laughs> what, from I mean, what I they're have heard,
2: make money off it, you got to see
1: them from what I have heard. It is not a parody of, you know, it's not a, it's not a, uh, what was it? A space quest or whatever. It's, it's not yeah, that parody. It It is a straight up. We're going to do Star Trek quote unquote, the right way. Um, yeah. so I don't know. It's, it seems really weird. I'll, I'll be interested to see what happens with this. And that's why all the ad campaigns for the Orville played up as a comedy and maybe it is mm-hmm. comedy, but I've heard from people who have seen this saying, Oh no, it's, it's a lot more serious than, than what the uh, trailers I, I, come off.
2: I've heard that too. I have a, a, a really oh. good friend who works for uh oh. CBS of Paramount. And he said that it is a lot more like TNG than like galaxy quest.
1: Wow. Ooh, mm, but Ash- I like T N. Ashley, what are you looking forward to in the uh, in the fall TV series season?
2: Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race All Stars season three is uh. coming. I'm super jazzed for that. <laughs> um, all the I, I'm a I'm a sucker for all the DC shows, so mm-hmm. I'm definitely looking forward to all those coming back. Particularly Arrow. Uh, I thought Arrow was amazing this last season, and if they can continue that kind of growth, maybe they're over the hump. Although. No, the-
3: two good seasons in a row.
2: <clears throat> I don't know though. Cause like black canary is coming back full time. Like oh, yeah. Lance is coming back. So it could just be like completely ruined yeah. again. Five um, seasons of arrow,
3: two seasons of Supergirl, two seasons of legends, three seasons of flash and no two consecutive seasons are good.
2: Uh, that's true. You are not wrong, but arrow is the one I like the best. And <laughs> so that's the one I, I have the most emotionally. In- I don't even know what's coming out guys. I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, oh, big hero six cartoon. I'm super hyped for that. I am Not looking forward lie. to that as well. Dying to see it. <laughs> uh,
1: some of them have uh, some of the ones that I've been looking forward to have already been uh, released. DuckTales, uh, the new Rick and Morty really season uh, is yeah. out already. Um, I think probably I would just have to say, you know, an old standby like the Flash. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next, if they can continue it on or if it just kind of feels faded uh, this year. I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm curious to see what they're going to do with the, the CW shows uh, this year. Um, I'm
3: really looking forward to see a new season of Supergirl to see if they can break the no two good seasons
1: in a row thing. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't watch a lot of regular television. So when it appears on the Hulu or the Netflix or, you know, the iTunes store, that's usually where I see it. So I don't watch the the RuPaul thing. I don't watch the the Bake Off. I don't watch the the Bake Off uh, shows. I don't watch the Project Runway. Runway. Yeah, um, the wife and kids watch some of those shows. And I'm not a big reality TV fan. I just, I hate that that kind of brings out the worst in people kind of stuff. Um, so. That's only
2: the American ones though, which is know, so interesting. I know, I know. Like Great British Bake Off is like so polite Everybody sweet. says it's so
1: really good.
2: <laughs> it but is I just, really good.
1: <laughs> I, I just don't, uh, I, I don't watch those shows. So it's just has to be a show that I'm really, really into, but I think the Orville might be a new show that I'm, I'm kind of hyped yeah. about, but I think if, uh, if I were to pick one, it'd be the flash right now. So there you go.
2: Are are either you guys interested in anything like? Um, I'm really interested in the Good Place and Superstore coming back. Like those are two comedies the, I really like.
3: The Good Place is one of those things that I keep seeing and going, God, I want to watch that. It's Veronica that Mars.
2: About? Oh, you, oh, you Veronica have to watch Mars it until the dies. end though, because
4: the
3: twist is so good at the end. Veronica Mars dies and goes to the afterlife, and basically she meets uh, Ted Danson.
2: And she's she's supposed to go to hell, but she winds up in heaven. But there is a total um. Uh, uh, like in oh, the night gallery thing. level twist at the end.
3: Yeah. There's a Serling. Oh. There's a, there's a big old Serling.
1: And what is this? So so is good. this a network television show or is this it's on the
2: NBC show? Interesting. Is it or I thought it was CBS. Oh, you're right. Oh, I don't know. One of those. Too. There's another so show that
1: I'm interested in seeing again, and these have already been released, but it's the tick over there on, um, on the Amazon prime. I, oh, I want to see I, We
2: watched it all in like two days. It's really yeah. good. <laughs> why don't we just,
1: what, since we're on this television talk, why don't we just jump down into the major spoilers poll of the week?
0: Weak, 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 weak,
1: weak. I've been thinking about this a lot uh, in relation to favorite shows that we have been seeing. And there are certain shows like I'm like, oh, Stranger Things. I cannot wait for Stranger Things to come out uh, in October. Um, and w- so when I see that there's a new original programming from Netflix, I kind of get excited about potentially what could come from Netflix. Now, we got also the um, uh, Death Notebook or whatever it was uh, that Death didn't Note. do so well. Yeah, Death Note. Um, and then I see something maybe sometimes from Amazon prime. I'm like, Oh, the tick looks uh, really good. And I've really enjoyed, uh, the last tycoon that's running right now. That is really interesting. And then I hear about some premieres that are coming out on like network television. I'm just like, you know, I really don't care about that. And I, and sometimes if it's on the uh, premium channels, uh, the, the HBOs and the showtimes, there might be something there. And I guess the question for you guys is, do you get more excited about content coming from. Uh, new media providers like the amazons the hulus the netflix or do you get more excited about shows that are coming to your nbcs your abcs your fox network or your hbos and showtimes where do you get your most excitement from when it comes to uh, show announcements ashley let's start with you
2: i would say that overall the stuff that i get the most enjoyment out of as far as announcements is usually because I've already invested in the show, mm, um, mm-hmm. which I I know is a shock to everybody for me to say that. So it usually winds up being more of your premium cable stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think FX is on fire. Um, HBO, AMC, Showtime, like that's where those are the shows that I I enjoy the most and that I think on all aspects consistently are firing at at least eighty-five. Mm-hmm. Um, the the most shows I watch are probably network shows, and a little bit of that is systemic from, you know, what we all do for mm-hmm. a living. Right. So I, you know, I watch five, and it's going to be six CW shows, seven if you count Riverdale. So which I probably does.
3: what <laughs> nobody counts Riverdale.
2: Well, Betty and Veronica forever. Oh man. Um, <laughs> But I will say that uh, the interesting thing for me more about streaming is that their animation has been really good. Oh, yeah. Um, Voltron Legendary Defenders mm-hmm. is having another little half season come out in October, and yep. I'm super thrilled for that Um, because both of my uh, paladins that I love the very most are no longer captured. So that's great. Um, So, yeah, I guess overall it would be premium cable services. But that's what's great about sh- streaming service is I don't like, I don't have cable and I can still get everything I
1: want. Yeah. And, and again, for me, it's like, I think I get them for me. I think I get most excited from what Netflix is delivering because, Mm -hmm. and I, I know that they release a lot of original content and some of it we've never even ever heard of, but like someone said, you really ought to check out Ozark. And I watched Ozark and it was brilliant. It was really, really cool. Uh, And then, you know, I mentioned like stranger things and other things that, that Netflix puts out. I kind of get really excited about the and I guess I'm just going to call it a new media cause it's not a television yeah. network, but I, but I get really excited when I hear something big is coming out from Netflix or Amazon. So that's kind of where I, I kind of sit, Matthew, what about you?
3: See, I'm not sure how to answer this because I don't, with the exception of the shows that people in my family DVR and we watch weekly because you know, they're weekly. I don't necessarily do that. I'm I'm really more of a, can you start my orange kind of a person? And Like Westworld, I fell into Westworld ass backwards on a Saturday night, six months after you guys had all watched it. Yeah, And I'm like, oh, this is great. And then I found out they were running it. So I started watching it in order and I'm like, this is amazing. This is great. And I don't have to wait nearly as long as y'all do for the new season. That's kind of the way that I do it. I have like 365 channels and I pay an inordinate amount of stupid money for it because I'm a boring old fat man with a lot of disposable income.
1: (laughs) Oh, send some my way, please. (laughs) (laughs)
3: you funny i got two (laughs) words for you and one of them is diabetes but i uh i don't have that by the way my daughter does i thought you want to know um yeah i I basically tend to just sort of bump into things so i would say network except in as much as i don't really get excited about announcements really for anything because i don't always see them until Mm -hmm after, you know, it's too late. They're like, "Hey, did you hear about this Last Man on Earth thing?" And I'm like, "No, what's it about?" And they're like, "Well, it's the guy from McGregor and it
2: ain't I'm, about the last man on earth. Let me tell you sure. that." Yeah. I think
1: <laughs> I think part of the appeal for me looking at a Netflix or an Amazon show is that I can binge it and for me being able to if I've got 4 hours to sit down and burn through 4 episodes that's a lot more, that's a lot easier for me than to say, Oh, it's Tuesday at seven 30. I'm supposed to be watching such and such a show. And I can't. So I think maybe that's that's also part of the appeal too.
2: That's the thing that makes me want to punch like the creators of the tick in the head or, uh, the CBS all access people, because, uh, the tick has shot 12 episodes, but they want to curb bingeability, which is like an old person. Like we don't know what (laughs) streaming is or why it's relevant, even though we're a streaming show. And so they released six episodes, and I'm gonna give you a minor spoiler. So at the end of six episodes, there's no conclusion, which as as a viewer is incredibly frustrating because you can tell by the momentum of the show that they're driving towards something and then they don't do it. Um and the CBS all access, first of all, just like they just got back to shooting. Um, and then they're gonna go on hiatus in December and like mm-hmm. hope that we all don't just cancel CBS all access because mm-hmm. there's F nothing else on that certainly. Like yeah. ugh, that <laughs> stuff drives me crazy. Well, and that was that and was I know my that frustration. There's a bunch of people yelling at me for being a millennial right
1: now but no but no that was my frustration with uh, the stephen king what was it Eleven twenty-eight sixty-three 63 or whatever that uh, show yeah. was yeah, yeah, yeah. is that it was they were releasing it weekly and i was like are you kidding me you could just release it all at once and i could binge through it and so there was at least a month where i forgot about the show and you then i was like off. and i dropped off and then i was like oh i gotta go back and finish this and then of course i was able to burn the last uh, four or five episodes all in a row because they were all there but i just i don't know uh I guess my tastes have changed quite a bit in how I consume my media. Uh, and that's cool. But uh, yeah, I'm glad I, I'm I was just curious to what people get most excited about. It seems like uh, everybody has a, has a different answer. So thank you for that. And I do not have a poll of the week over at major spoilers.com this week where you guys can answer. So if you want to uh, listeners throw in your thoughts or ideas on this, head over to major spoilers.com in the comment section for this podcast episode and uh, share your thoughts on that. Cause I'm, I'm curious about that and, and what do you get excited about and where does it come from and all of those kinds of things. All right. Let us jump back into some reviews. re-views. Oh, I'm going to start uh, because I've got a book that I should have uh, reviewed last week, but I did not. It's blue beetle number 12 from DC comics. Uh, this has been a kind of a quiet subversive series. And I guess it's only got one or two more issues left in the uh, dematis and uh, Giffen run. Um, but uh, it's, it's really kind of interesting because as uh, Jaime Reyes continues to try to become the Blue Beetle. He's attracting a lot of attention. And this issue features Batman showing up in El Paso. And it's really kind of weird. I mean, it's neat to see Batman show up and and uh, talk Ted Cord down and basically say, Ted Cord, I'm going to be in town and uh, I don't want to do trouble from you. And I want to uh, be able to look at this Blue Beetle and his tech whenever I want. And you're not going to interfere in Blue Beetles. And uh, Ted Cord's like, uh, yes, sir. Uh, and there's also another little gag where um, Batman's like, I've been standing here for five minutes and you haven't even noticed I've been in the room and Blue, and uh, Ted Cord screams. And he's like, "Ah, I've already got a heart condition. Don't do this to me. Uh, the sad but part they is. They must is, be
2: worried about that book if they put Batman in it. Yeah.
1: Well, like also I said. No
2: t, no shade, but that's what they do at DC. <laughs>
1: well, no, that's the that's the thing is that um, it does say like right in the inside cover that um, you've only got a few more issues of this DeMadison and run. And here are the editors, and they're so thankful we're gone, or something like that. It's it's basically saying, hey, uh, people don't read this book, and it's going away. Um, yeah. But uh, the interesting thing is, uh, the Blue Beetle Jaime Reyes is basically fighting a, a bad guy who's on fire, and it's yeah. and as Batman watching is just like critiquing. And at the end of the end of the and the, the weirdest part about this book is at the end, instead of Batman being all gruff, uh, Jaime is like, hey, look, we just can't throw this guy in jail. He's sick. He he needs help. And you need to show a little compassion and and it's not all about punching people left and right. And throughout the entire issue, Batman has been watching uh the Blue Beetle fight and he's like, Oh no, you need to do this and you need to do this. Uh, you know, he's muttering to himself these things. And then when uh Jaime stands up to Batman, Batman's like, you know what, you're right. You're doing good, kid. And uh the only thing I'd say is make sure that Ted Cord shows you how to throw a punch properly. And uh, good luck and I'll see you later. It's it's just like this weirdest guest star ever. <laughs> but I do love the Damatis and, and Giffen stuff. I know that people, you know, and it sometimes is hit or miss. Uh, but for people who are fans of the of the uh, the wah Justice League days,
4: oh, the best. <laughs>
1: there is a lot of that kind of flavor and humor in this issue. And I really dug it. And then there's this whole time travel thing that's going on, too. That's a whole uh, B plot. Apparently, there are two characters that have been working at uh, Court Industries who are from the future and know who Batman is. And one of them happens to be the future, uh, flash. And the other one happens to be a future Batgirl, Uh, and they're trying to get back to the year 3001, which is where this next issue uh, takes place. So it's a fun book. It's interesting. It's nothing heavy. It's not, at least I don't think it plays a lot on rebirth or anything that's going on in this, uh, in the current DCU other than, Hey, here's a blue beetle. Here's Ted cord. And Hey, look, everybody, Batman, it's, it's a fun book regardless. And, I think that if Blue Beetle had enough attention and would be able to continue another 12 to 24 issues, I think you'd see this uh, solid character development like we saw in the last Blue Beetle series uh, that did so well before DC canceled it. Uh, I like Blue Beetle 12 a lot. I'm giving it four out of five slices of meatloaf. Uh, If you're a fan of Blue Beetle and Ted Kord and Jaime Reyes and Batman, this is definitely worth uh, checking out. Uh, I'm really curious now because they're going to be making this time travel jump. Oh, and the Cosmic Treadmill finally makes its first appearance in the Rebirth universe in this issue. Um, Cosmic Treadmill. I I can't wait to see what happens in the next issue. So four out of five slices of meatloaf for me. So that's Blue Beetle number 12. That was out last week from DC Comics. But I think that uh, Ashley and Matthew have some comics that are out maybe this week. Matthew, what do you have? This is also from Uh,
3: Ashley, right? I got a comic. It is from Marvel. And I believe it is out this week. It is called Generations, the Mighty Thor and the Unworthy Thor, Number One Something Something Dark Side. It's got a really, really long title. And I think the actual title of the book, in, it contains the thunder as well. And several colons and, and sub clauses. But basically... I picked this up solely because I I have no idea what Generations is. They've been hyping and hyping and hyping, and I literally have no idea what Generations is. So I picked this up, and I I was kind of confused and not knowing what to expect. And it starts at some point in the past. It starts with a many years ago, which is just as infuriating as Captain's Log Supplemental. Because you can't fit it into the continuity, and your brain is like, wait, when does this happen? And this is clearly happening before Thor episode two, Charlie X. But uh, young Thor.
2: Charlie (laughs) X. How dare you bring that up?
3: (laughs) See, my Star Trek references have new life when Ashley's on the show. (laughs) Um, But only because she's young. young
1: That show is 55 years old. I'm saying that she hasn't been around you for 25 years and heard all your jokes before.
3: You haven't heard any of my jokes.
1: You don't listen. <laughs> but in any hey, case... Hey, everybody, listen to Zach on film this week and tell me who listens and who doesn't.
3: <laughs> Meanwhile, you know what? That's just me turning your own weapons against you. I've been married a long time. Passive-aggressive is my native language. Thor cannot yet lift his hammer. Young Thor is running around with his enchanted axe, whose name is like, I don't know, Vrakhan Ingve Malmstein, I believe is the name of his... his uh, a magical axe, and in the middle of the issue he's been told that he has to come and be a part of uh, odin's uh grouping odin is having a big thingamathingama thingama and he has to wear formal wear which turns out to be his classic marvel costume with the helmet and the cape and the big belt and the dots on the chest and i'm like on the one hand i love the fact that they're using that costume on the other hand i don't like the fact that they've just told us that this is actually as guardian formal wear but nonetheless, Thor ditches Dad's thing to go and hang out with Vikings on Earth. And in the middle of the battle against, by the way, a well known villain of the modern Marvel Universe.
2: Loki? Loki? An ex- Loki?
3: No. You want me to tell you? I could tell you.
2: That's all I got.
1: It Is rhymes it Green with... Goblin?
3: No. Try again.
1: Is it Mysterio?
3: Okay. Let me put this in perspective. Is it okay? uh,
1: Brian Michael Bendis?
3: It takes <laughs> place in Egypt ancient
1: egypt oscar isaac who
3: yes it is oscar isaac it's is, apocalypse.
1: It, is it Armaged- armageddon's no i just said <laughs> it's an
3: apocalypse oh okay yeah you, you totally listen to me anyway in the middle of his battle with duplarkalypse uh somewhere in egypt there's a massive explosion and the current thor shows up jane foster thor the one with the awesome suit and the cool hat and he's like hey hey that's my hammer where'd you get my hammer and he's like, My name's Thor. Who the hell are you? And she's like, I'm also called Thor. And that's where things get a little unpleasant for me because this is during Viking times, like 500 years ago. And people all of a sudden start referring to Jane as a wench and it's bad. But she does respond by hitting them in the face with hammers, literally, in the case as of. One shirt. Right? And throughout the issue, I'm not sure where this falls in Jane's continuity. But it does give us a nice arc, because it tells us about, you know, if you know about Jane's situation in her Thor comic, Jane, in her normal form, has a terminal cancer. By turning into Thor and taking up the hammer, she doesn't have cancer, and she's healthy and strong and godlike, but it also undoes the effects of her treatments when she goes back to human form. So while she's human... She's suffering the terrible effects, and every time she turns into Thor, it negates everything that she's doing with her treatments. So she's asking herself, why don't I just stay Thor forever? Why don't I just keep this hammer, be Thor, and be an awesome god? And throughout the issue, we see her interacting with young Thor and getting an answer to that question that is very, very satisfying and very solidly done. Jason Aaron does a really good job squaring this whole thing away and making it look Making it feel like this is a perfectly created one-issue thing. This is beginning, middle, and end, and I love it. And I've always loved the art of Mahmoud Asrar, who uh, used to draw Dynamo 5. does a really good job in this book. I think my sole complaint is still—actually, there are two. One, I don't know what Generations is. I don't know what Generations is meant to be or do, and it's, it's this massive branding thing that Marvel is doing. And there's literally no clarity on, on, on what it is other than, hey, you're an old fat guy, right? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, okay, here's some comics that you might remember. Whatever. It also does reveal that in his youth, Odin boinked to the Phoenix. Like
1: so, the Phoenix Force or like?
3: Uh, yeah, the Phoenix Force. No. Odin boinked to the Phoenix. Hmm. I, I, I'm i not sure that's supposed to be a thing. They're saying that something's going to, that's going to be something, something, something. And But Odin boinking the phoenix is like the absolute opposite of anything that I really want to know about. I don't want to know. But I do like the fact that this issue does not put Jane Thor and Thori thor together and have one or the other of them look, you know, obviously bad. And one of them is like, yes, here's the awesome real Thor, and here's the other Thor, whichever one you say is the real Thor, you know. I like both. I think that they work really well together, and I like the fact that this story does not give us two of them with hammers and plays around with not only the immortality of the character, but the weird nature of how Jane becomes Thor. So I'm going to go with Four Slices of Meatloaf. It's a good book. It's a remarkably good book, given that there's literally no explanation of the who, the what, the why – And the overarching plot of, of generations still doesn't make any sense, but this issue is solid work.
1: Yeah. It's the generations thing is totally not interconnected. It's just a bunch of standalone issues where modern day heroes meet their legacy counterparts and have a conversation. And that's, that is literally the, the hook.
3: I'm going to go back in time and I'm going to meet the golden age, Matthew. And we're going to have an adventure and I'm going to come back, but it would have
1: to be like, the modern day, not like you're meeting yourself. It's like the totally awesome Hulk meets the Hulk, right? It's the, or it's the Miles page, Morales right. meets Spider-Man, uh, that kind right. of stuff. Going so back it's, in time yeah, I would agree with you. It's a fairly weak, it's a fairly weak premise,
0: yeah.
1: uh, for the generations. But again, it's just a bunch of standalone things. And I think it's trying to, I don't know if you got this out of this, cause I haven't read these, these, uh, issues either, but is it trying to say I'm okay? You're Okay. Kind of thing,
3: yeah. That okay. that is exactly. It's a free to be you and me kind of thing, a very seventies sort of uh, premise, and I'm I'm really good with that. Except in as much as that's not really a, a giant, massive intercompany branding opportunity.
1: No, and that's,
3: it's that's literally that's literally a PSA. That's literally yeah. a pat on the head and go. Both thors are good. You know, your kink is okay, even if it's not my kink.
1: I think and I don't but instead know instead
3: of King say Thor.
1: I don't know what the what the thinking is but it's kind of like they slapped generations and they slapped a Marvel legacy together and they're not really events they're just one is a uh touchy feely hero meets hero kind of thing and the other one is hey we're renumbering everything and everyone thinks it's a yeah. big story arc and a uh, big to do and it's and it's really not ultimately. So Yeah, and
3: it's exactly what Marvel needs to get away from. They need well, to get yeah. away from meaningless branding and overarching things where the books don't actually fit and they need to just solidify and say, okay, here are awesome characters. Here's the book where you can find cable. Here's the book where you can find Deadpool. Here's our Avengers book. Here's our defenders book. Here's our champions book and put the damn books out for more than six issues at a time and give us, you know, an actual run by a, a set of creators and man, all of a
1: sudden I'm on a soapbox here, but yeah, yeah, that's kind of how this Generation. issue is gone or this episode is gone. <laughs> that's all right.
3: It's a good issue. It's a solid issue. And it's, it's, it's saddled with branding that is going to make it feel irrelevant, even though it's not within about a month and a half.
1: Ashley, I'm super excited about Kim and Kim. I love their first series. And yeah. uh, the uh, second volume has been released from uh, Oni Press, and we are up to issue number two.
2: Not Oni, Black Mask.
1: Oh, a Black Mask. That's right. Sorry. But they
2: both have weird masks in their right. logos, so I they see do. what you would make. <laughs> uh, Love is a Battlefield is, yes, like you mentioned, the second <laughs> arc. And I feel like the more personal arc. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And, and Meg's desire has been, the writer's been pretty public about this, that she's been going through some uh personal life stuff and when you read this issue in particular the second of the run you can see that it is somebody trying to work something out in their own life and i don't i don't think that's a bad thing the first arc of kim and kim is really like fun comic book candy Mm -hmm. with a couple really touching moments and Mm -hmm. the second arc is shaping up to be a lot more introspective character development, but there's still like a kick-ass fight in the middle where they're gonna bust somebody's teeth out with a guitar. And dear lord, don't let your kid read it, even though Ava Cabrera uh, draws really cartoony art because it's it's vicious and bloody, and there's swear words all over the page. So in this issue, we spend the entire twenty twenty-two pages. Five years in both Kims' past while one of the Kims' is is going through a breakup and the other Kims' is is trying to help her deal with that. And we get a lot of revelations about how both of their personal lives have gone up to that point and why we find them in this codependent but non-romantic relationship where we meet them at the beginning of the first arc. Mm -hmm. It's not a retcon. Per se, but it is an interesting revisiting of the place these characters came from only a few years before we met them. And I honestly think that this second issue has the best character development and the best single arc issue of anything that the series has put out so far. There's a lot of growth from uh, Ava Cabrera, the artist, as well, which is great. It's amazing when you can see two, like a creative team that's on a similar I don't want to say learning curve because, you know, they're professionals, but you can tell that that they've gelled in this different way and the styles have really matured. I think it's a wonderful issue. And I love the fact that we still get all of the trappings and the jingles and the cell phone charms and the hair scrunchies that we all signed up for when we first picked up this issue. But we actually get to see a little more human reflection in these uh, badass space lady bounty hunters Mm -hmm. than maybe we are used to seeing. And if this is the kind of thing that we're going to be getting, like a new level of um, storytelling and more subtlety in the characters, I hope the series goes on uh, forever and ever. Amen. And uh, more props to the creative team and the black mask for putting out something this cool and this complicated. Uh, So I'm going to give it four. Out of five slices of meatloaf. I thought it was wonderful. Uh, you definitely have to read the first issue in the series. And maybe probably the whole first arc to get it. Because it is very. We just pick up with everybody where they left off at the end of. Um, or or where the storytelling is. Because this is a flashback at the end of the last issue. So pick up Kim and Kim if you're not. Um, if you're cool like us. Sitting in your inbox and uh, go read it.
1: So, yeah. no, yeah. I've, I, I really enjoyed that first uh, series. I haven't had a chance to read the first two issues of this new arc yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. And of course, Mags uh, was just accepted into the DC writers uh, workshop for 2017. She's one of the finalists for that. And so it'll be interesting to see how her writing style changes once she's been in there to see how, how it, uh, how, how she approaches topics and and conversations going forward. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what, uh, what work she has in the future. Speaking of the future. We can only continue to do things at Major Spoilers with our listener support. Uh, and listeners, if you find some value in this, uh, we could use your support at Major Spoilers at, at uh, sorry, Patreon.com slash Major Spoilers. That's a place where you want to go to. If you find our conversations interesting and appealing or fun or controversial, and controversial can be fun. Controversial yeah. can be a learning experience. Uh, sometimes having an uncomfortable conversation uh, can help you grow and change. In fact, uh, for those of you who are already patrons, there's kind of a weird conversation that we had in pre-show. Uh, that is unlike anything that we've yeah. done in a while, but, uh, you might, uh, you might enjoy that. And if you enjoy those other conversations, if you enjoy bonus podcasts, like the flashback podcast that will come back in October, where Matthew and I will sit down and break down and, and maybe even <laughs> the, uh, every episode of the flash, then you'll want to sign up over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Let's see how many more people we can get in the month of September. Let's see if we can hit, uh, what are we, our next goal, man, we might even be able to hit our next, next goal in September <gasps> and release a whole new series of bonus tracks. And of course, be on the lookout for Matthew's. Why do you hate me review? It's coming ah. to patreon.com slash major spoilers. Get over there. Hate. Check it out today. Hate face. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this is a fifth week, a week where publishers maybe don't release that many comics, or maybe they take and do something completely different, like joining forces and unleashing the amalgam universe. Mm -hmm. This week, we're taking a look at two more books, Dr. Strange Fate and Magneto and the Magnetic Men. Uh, Dr. Strange (laughs) Fate, uh, written by Ron Mars. Um, Magneto and the Magnetic Men, written by Garrett, Garrett, uh, I'm sorry uh gerard jones i'll get it out there and these are two totally different books
3: they are in that one is totally awesome goofy and the other is dr strange fate no you got those backwards no magneto and the magnetic men is delightful it's weird. It's silly. It does interesting things with the amalgam. And Dr. Strange fate is just a series of false leads ending with a bwang That doesn't actually mean anything. Uh, you know,
2: yeah, I was Dr. Strange fate is like the only one who realizes what's happened. And that's super cool. So
1: that's the one thing. Let's, why don't we go ahead and start with Dr. Strange fate? Um, okay. num- uh, what the gimmick is, is that you're combining characters from the Marvel universe and the DC universe, and you're smashing them together. And in this case, just from the name, you're thinking, Oh, it's Dr. Strange. Our Dr. Fate and Dr. Strange mash together into one cool character until you get to the end of the issue and he takes off his helmet and you realize it's been Charles Xavier all along. (gasps) What? But here's what is the interesting part about uh, the comics. We've read a bunch of the Amalgam comics this year. This, I believe, is the first time that Access has made his appearance in the Amalgam comics that we've reviewed.
3: That is correct. Access appeared in... Marvel versus DC number three, which is the story that combined the two universes, and then we had the whole weeks of the the uh, amalgam, 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 This is Access's first appearance in the crossover, and this is really the first time the story is picked up.
1: Yeah, yeah. The
3: story I, of the two mutated universes.
1: Yes, and and so it does bring up an interesting question that I wanted to ask both of you: if you suddenly woke up tomorrow and someone mm-hmm. was standing in front of you, just appeared, and he's like, "Hey." Two universes have been zippered together and I need to unzip them, <laughs> which is basically <laughs> which is basically what is said in this comic. Um, um If they said that, hey, we're going to have to split the universes put to put them back into the way that they originally were. And unfortunately, Matthew, that means uh, your your cat can no longer be a part of your life uh because he was much better in another universe or, let Ash- me or help Ashley <laughs> or Ashley or Ashley. Uh, the, the other universe had, uh, Jason in it and, and he doesn't belong in your universe. We have to undo that because it was better the other way. Trust me. Would you, would you be willing to make that sacrifice or would you be like Dr. Strange fate that says, this is my universe. This is where I feel whole and I belong together. I will fight the tearing of the universes.
2: If I have to give up Jason, I'll kill someone.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And if I have to give up my cat, well, I'll probably reward somebody highly here.
1: Here's 20 bucks. I mean, I could really see where Dr. Strange Fate is coming from in here, (laughs) but it, but it seems like, um, his argument in this issue is coming from a place of selfishness as opposed to, oh, we need to do what's, what's for the greater good. Agreed. And And that doesn't make him a hero, unfortunately.
3: Well, that's the thing, though. It makes him more real than many heroic-type things. And remember, this is from 1994 or 5. I can't remember which.
1: Yeah, I was just looking. But this this, is, this um, is from
3: a point in time where ninety eight. the anti-heroes... This is not 98. Oh, I'm
1: sorry. 96. Sorry. Are you sure? Yes. Published in 1996. I'm pretty sure the second one was 96. But okay.
3: So we got this whole thing going on. It makes him feel more... I think more real, more authentic. It's, it's a, a natural reaction. Like Ashley said, if somebody said that they're taking Jason away, then bad things would happen. If somebody came to me and said, nope, we're taking a people away. I'd be like, nope, you ain't taking Jack. I'm going to put on my, my golden helmet and fighty, fighty, fighty. Well,
1: what if they, instead of saying, taking that away, what if they said, well, Matthew, um, you're actually a combination of two other people and it'd be better if we split you apart. Would Would it be the same well, thing?
3: Well will those people both be incredibly sexy and super witty because i mean if well, it's one not is sexy both, it's not one is it.
1: one is sexy one is witty but they exist well, in their be- own separate universes and See, those better universes better be are better off both. those those universes are better off without a without matthew but instead one has a matt and the other one has a hue
4: <laughs>
1: okay <laughs> You and I'm not going to tell M-word. you. I'm not going to tell you which one is the sexy one. And I'm not going to tell you which one is you the. You said
3: one. you said the M word, and I'm going to give you a pass on it this once. But one more time, and your LA privileges will be revoked. But no, more importantly, no. I would, I would, yeah, I would argue this probably the same way Doctor Strange fate was. I mean, if if that person cannot have my combination of incredibly sexy and incredibly brilliant then yeah i think i i would i would definitely respond like that and it's really in some ways this is the book that feels most realistic but also most problematic because as readers we know that the marvel and dc universes are separate and at this point in time needed to be separate because they were like both 60 year old universes but When you look at Dr. Strange Fate, his argument of, no, this is my world. These are my friends. This is my life. How can you try and do this? This is wrong, and I'm going to fight you. That's a perfectly understandable sort of thing, but it's a premise that doesn't hold up under scrutiny of the real world, no matter how beautiful Jose Luis Garcia Lopez's art is. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Which it truly, truly is.
3: Yeah, I really like the art in this, yeah. Beautiful. And his White Witch... Yes. It's so, so pretty.
1: So White Witch is Just, a combination of Zatanna and the Scarlet Witch. We also correct. have a combination of uh, Guy Gardner, Green Lantern, and... Kyle Rayner. Oh, Kyle Rayner, Ky- okay.
3: Kyle Rayner and Nova, who was because, at because the time...
4: Because Kyle
1: Rayner. Oh, there
3: you oh, go. Right, exactly. Kyle Rayner and Nova, who was Galactus' uh, herald at the time, Frankie... Uh, Frankie Nunez.
1: Uh, no, not Munez. Frankie Nunez. And then Frankie
3: Muniz is Malcolm in the middle.
1: And then and you and have know, uh Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner and uh Solomon Grundy.
3: Bruce Banner is the skulk, a combination of the Hulk and Solomon Grundy. Yeah. yeah.
2: I literally read it as the skunk the entire time. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. That's true. <laughs> well, you of
3: know, course Solomon Grundy opened.
1: probably smells pretty stinky.
3: Uh, yeah, Hulk he does, because he's he's made of stink. <laughs> Uh, the story opens with one of the worst villains ever, a combination of the Abomination and the Helgrimite, called the Abominite. Yes. Which yeah. is wrong.
1: It's just, it's Sounds
2: wrong. Like a medication.
1: So I right? really, I really enjoyed the Dr. Strange Fate book, uh, maybe more than I should. And when I was looking around to looking at what other people had commented about this book over the years, A lot of people seem to gravitate to Dr. Strange Fate as one of the more popular, if not the most popular book in the Amalgam Comics series.
3: I would say, yeah, partly because it is it's tied to the central spine of things. It feels meaningful. It feels impactful in ways that like bullets and bracelets, which was the ongoing trials and tribulations of a marriage that we literally know doesn't exist. Mm hmm than you know try and play into the the narrative of these are comics from a universe that doesn't exist which some books do well when we get to iron lantern you'll see that done well Aww, iron lantern is so good right but this this is a book that basically says no we're going to actually follow the story that created this universe and we're going to deal with you know some of these things in a, an out of universe narrative sort of way so it's going to mm-hmm. be you know the whole combination of the universes is meaningful here the way it hasn't been in any of the previous issues we've read.
1: Right. Which brings us to Magneto and the Magnetic Men. <laughs> Will Magnus and uh and Magneto, brothers. Our brothers.
3: Yeah. Will Magnus uh. and Eric Magnus. At the time his name was Eric Magnus. Now his name is actually Max Eisenhart, which is a better name in a lot of ways.
1: I gotta say, um this series came out in nineteen ninety-six. Uh this uh, book reminded me about everything that I hated about nineties comics. Unfortunately. And it, and I know you guys, you, you may love this book, Matthew, but I'm sorry. The art just totally is a total distraction. And really, again, just is everything I hated about comics that were coming out at this time.
3: This is Matsuda and Matsuda is from that same ballpark of the, the early manga influence guys like uh, the battle chasers guy, mm-hmm. and the guy who traced the battle chasers guy, and the guy who traced Jim Lee, and the guy who Jim Lee traced. All of those '90s guys kind of have a similar take. Matsuda is very big head, big hands, big feet, which is weird because I mean, you love Umberto Ramos. I this do, has a and lot it, and it, of
1: similarities there are. Yes, and I can, and I knew that that was the <laughs> argument you were going to bring up in this. And you're you're right, except that um, Ramos, especially if you're looking at him in the Impulse run, is toned down considerably from the wacky craziness that is going on in, in these pages.
3: But basically what we see in this issue is one of the cleverest of amalgams taking the five metal men and amalgamating them with the five members of the originals um, uh, Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Mm hmm. Which, I mean, it's it's really well done and it makes sense and everybody is clearly an amalgam of two people. With the exception of Magneto, who seems to be literally the exact same Magneto yes. that we know.
1: Yes, His except brother. he has really long flowing hair that just doesn't quite flow the way you think that hair is supposed to flow.
3: And he has a big brother, Will, who created the Metal Man. And I'm sort of really sort of fine with that because as you break this whole mess down, as you look at it, Sometimes the amalgams are messy, or in, in the case of the skulk, just dumb. There's no there's no reason to have Solomon Grundy running around wearing purple pants, other than to point and go, <laughs> look at that. Look, at that, I, I made a joke over here. It's it's almost the comic book equivalent of a fart joke. Whereas Magneto and the Magnetic Men really works to try and amalgamate the characters and make the fact that they're robots with the minds of the Dead Brotherhood of Evil Mutants meaningful as part of the story.
1: Ashley, what would you think of this, um, Magneto and the Ma- Magnetic Men?
2: I think Matthew really nails it on the head. I think this is one of the smartest, um, most interesting amalgamations that we've seen. Uh, so the art, I can get over the art for this. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of Dragon Ball Z, but like kind of yep. watered out a little bit. Um, <laughs> and we've read some real...
1: Oh, shite, yeah, some real loser books, yeah. oh yeah um, wait till we get to a uh, lobo dead uh, uh what's his name howard the Lo- duck and lobo lobo uh, duck.
2: i don't know i just know that lobo's Lo- in Lo- there the so it's not gonna be bad
3: um, <laughs> lobo the duck is not as bad as the concept would seem
2: but so i really appreciate the thought and the care that went into this storytelling and it let me get past the stuff where I was like, "Oh man, this is super '90s." But I also just read uh, reread all of Zero Hour, so mm, I'm like I'm into sorry. it right now.
1: What, what's wrong <sighs> with you, <sighs>
2: dude? Those Robin issues are like two of the greatest issues of
1: comics <laughs> ever. They're Sometimes, so yes, but you didn't have to read Zero all of Zero Hour, Hour for that.
2: Zero no, re- Hour. I read the though. collection.
1: Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. Zero Hour has the the end of an era in the oh, Legion. Oh yeah, no, which there's some but there's some great stuff,
1: did but there's also some, skip, some real crap you skip in the,
2: the it. Catwoman stuff. It's mm-hmm. like pretty good. Yeah, all in
3: all. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the con the Conel <laughs> con- teaming up with pre Crisis Superboy is good. Bringing Lady Blackhawk into the future and effing leaving her there is great. Yeah. Because you know it it had some sort of meaningful moments of meaningful. And back of to Amalgam Comics.
1: Um, (laughs) Magneto and the magnetic men from the story side, I kind of dig it because it's really like super soap opera. Uh, opera. uh, I don't know how to say that, but it's opera. Opera. It's it is, it is like, so drama over the top, like 10 o'clock AM CBS, CBS books, but it's like cranked up to 11. It's just the, the story is really interesting from that, from that standpoint. Um, but and you're right, Ashley. I could get over the art, but it's just like sloppy all over the page or slopping all over the page. And it just kept yeah. distracting me from Magneto taking off his helmet and letting his white locks fly in the breeze when there is no slowing. when there's no very, breeze.
2: Very excellent in the animated series oh, yeah, yeah, to be yeah, 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 in that yeah. respect.
3: I wanna say that at this point in time, or around this point in time. Magneto was actually dead and there was a clone of Magneto with the long flowing white hair named Joseph. Mm. Uh, uh, we'll have to ask Rodrigo when he comes back because this is his era of X-Men. You weren't this reading X-Men the... at this time? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, you silly little man. No. <clears throat> You've made me choke myself. How dare you?
1: Oh, no, so let me, was... let me ask that again. So you were reading X-Men at this <laughs> time? <laughs> Why weren't you reading X-Men at this time?
3: Well, because X-Men was god-awful at Mm. this time. And the parts of it that were good were really hard to overcome. Oh, man. This is basically an X-Book. I mean, I think this is the creative team from an X-Book. Matsuda, I know, was drawing X-Men in or around the time.
1: I'm pretty sure um, Gerard Jones was doing something with them as well.
3: Yeah. Gerard Jones may have been on the DC side. I think he may have had something to do with... um, Fliberty, flibberty flippity. If you look real closely in the credits, part of the brainstorming and the amalgamating in this issue was done by Wade. Hmm hmm. I'm not saying that's why it's got such clever stuff behind it. I'm just saying,
1: Wade, if you want to, uh, if you guys haven't read this book, it's called Marvel Comics: The Untold Story by Sean Howe. Have you guys read this? Yeah, yeah. Man, no. when it gets There's into the good
2: audiobook version of it, too.
1: that's the one that I listened to when I went to Nerdtacular. And it, you're right, it is excellent. And the if you want to know what Why I complain, I mean, I read, I really came into comics in the, uh, in the nineties, in the early nineties. Right. And, um, we saw the the rise of image comics and we saw, you know, wizard magazine and all the chromium covers and and everything that's going on. If you want to know why Matthew and I sometimes have a love hate relationship of comics coming out during that time. Read Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, because the whole section about the 90s and what was going on, not just at Marvel, but in the comics industry in general, is eye opening. And if you live through it, you could probably sit there and go, oh, I remember when that happened. Oh, that makes so much more sense now. So um, Magneto and the Magnetic Men of these two comics. What was that, Matthew?
3: There was a week where they tried to make Steve Platt a thing, and that guy couldn't draw yeah. his way out of a paper bag.
1: Magneto and the Magnetic Man is probably the most '90s of these two books.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I I did probably
3: like, the most '90s amalgam book we've bumped into thus far, to be honest. Um,
1: I think the what was it, uh, Wonder Woman, uh, bullets and bracelets. bullets and bracelets,
2: oh, the- the bracelets is
3: probably- that was kind of a grim, dark late '80s. I'll grant it to you though. Yeah, you've got a point.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't think we've gotten to Legends of the Wolverine Claw yet, have we?
3: Legends of the Dark Claw, not yet. Okay. I believe it's in the next batch.
1: That, that will also be Super 90s. But I really <laughs> enjoyed the Doctor Strange Fate a lot more, and I, I did not read these amalgam books when they came out. I think I may have picked up one or two here or there. I'm trying to think. Maybe I did buy them all, but I didn't read them because the, the final... <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's what well, I did. I bought them all, but didn't actually read them because some of them sucked. Yeah,
1: I think but I it was just. Have a
4: complete yeah, I think
1: that's what <laughs> I think that was happening at that time. I don't know. I was in Atlanta at the time, and and it was a weird time for me. But I I was still thrown by the whole Charles Xavier reveal at the end. I was like, what? Oh man, what a great uh, what a great swerve that they did. Um, but I but I enjoyed Doctor Strange fate more than uh, Magneto and the Magnetic Men. Where do you guys sit on? the love hate scale of these two books ashley
2: uh love dr strange fate like magneto and the metal men i think um as a pair i think this is the pair that we've read together that i've most enjoyed mm-hmm. uh, I i'm agree. usually i'm usually love one hate the other so i would say if you're interested in going on this amalgam journey with us these are two that are really really worth picking up
1: yep and matthew what about you
3: If we were playing Boink, Mary, Kill with comics, I would (laughs) Magneto and the Magnetic Men and marry Doctor Strange Fate and kill, oh, I don't know, 1993. 1996.
1: We'd kill them all.
3: Yeah. But yeah, I, I feel like for me, it comes down to an argument between a really strong, clever dynamic issue with art that I'm only sort of okay with. As opposed to an issue that didn't necessarily gel for me the same way, and that that you know what that Charles Xavier reveal felt like to me, a compound it would be like it would be like okay we wa- we're watching Star Trek right, and they spend a whole half season of Star Trek Voyager teasing that a character is actually Spock. Hmm. We're like it's Spock, you guys, it's Spock. Could this be Spock? It might be Spock. And then we get to the final episode reveal, and he takes off his helmet, and it's Hawk from Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. Not only is it a. Oh, you mean like what the
2: ending of Star Trek Discovery is going to be?
3: Not only is it a meaningless reveal, not only is it an unmotivated swerve, it then takes the amalgamated concept and rather than one from column a and one from column b yeah now we've got some weird unagi role in the middle and i don't know that i like it and they didn't fry well, it i think what makes these enough, two i
1: just, think what makes these two work together is that in one book you have charles xavier and the other book you have a uh, magneto and magneto. those two are yes. polar opposites from one another so reading these yeah. two in, in of a tandem piece. yeah they yeah. they really work uh together as a as a pair
3: they they do balance. And I think that the superior art in strange fate does give it an edge, but I do so love Magneto and the magnetic men mm-hmm. and people, you know, people liked it too because Magneto and the magnetic men, <laughs> It's one of the few that came back for a sequel. Yeah. It's the second round of amalgam.
1: Yep. Uh, now so the next fifth week is actually in November, but because we're trying to get through all of these this year, uh, in September, we will look, take a look at JLX and the Speed Demon. And then, in, d- and then in October, we will look at Legends of the Dark Claw and Spider Boy. And then, let's see, the last one should be Super Soldier and the X-Patrol in December.
3: Soldier and the X-Patrol. Yeah, so Sounds like we a cart.
1: All right. I think that's where we will wrap it up this week. Ashley, where can people find more of you and the fun, cool things that you do?
2: Oh, man, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ashley V. Robinson. Check me out on YouTube.com slash Jawin, We have uh, a spoiler-free and spoiler-filled review of The Defenders and a review that went up yesterday of the Tick Season 1. So there's all kinds of really cool stuff going on over there at the Geek History Lesson uh, every day, every week, all the time, taking over my life here on the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. This week, we are talking about The Inhumans. Oh, yeah.
1: I noticed none of us mentioned that as a show we're looking forward to in the new season of
2: television. Ah. Mm, Ah. Interesting. interesting. Uh, Anson Mount is hot. Um, It's coming into theaters (laughs) this week, and then it will be out uh, on your cinema box at the end of the month, I believe.
1: Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Matthew, where can people find you?
3: You can find me leaning up against the quick shop with my friend Jay. Most nights uh, we'll be singing Neutsch, Neutsch, Neutsch on the Twitter at Mighty King Cobra. The same on the Tumblr. I'm not on the Instagram because I it would just be pictures of cats and old comic books. And I'm already doing that on Twitter. So I don't want to like, you know, dilute you can, my actually, brand. you can
1: actually print. You can actually um, uh, submit on uh, Instagram and have it uh, show up on your Twitter have you not- as well.
3: Have you noticed, though, that I don't cross-post between my Twitter and my facing space? There's a reason for that. Yes, you do. Se- I keep my brand separate. No, the only
1: if you time go over to your I Facebook cross-post... page, it has all your tweets over there, too.
3: No, it does not, Mr. Smarty Pants.
1: Okay, if you say so, Matthew. I'm not going to argue with you.
3: I rent occasionally I will. And anytime I'm, I'm pimping the website, majorspoilers.com, Come check it out. We do a lot of great stuff. We have some really great podcasts over there and you can become a patron at spoilers.
1: I don't know what you are on tonight. You are like on some kind of weird drug. That uh, throws us all off, but that's probably a good place for us to wrap up this week. (laughs) Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience and everything that we do. We will be back next week because, oh, next week, we're going to be back to talk more of The Sixth Gun. We're up to Volume 6. Cannot wait for that. Uh, Why? Because we know that you love comics. (laughs) We know you love comics. We do, too. We will talk with you soon.
4: Stop talking about
3: comic books or I'll kill you. Beat the Man of Steel I'm gonna rearrange your face if you continue to debate Whether Logan's claws could pierce Steve Rogers' shield
4: I just couldn't care less if they bring back Kraven And I
0: don't care
4: if Spider-Man's a clone This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.